0: Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. In week three of our Advent series, Pastor Kenny taught from John 15 about what it practically looks like to abide in Jesus and how this can lead to lasting joy. This morning, we're going to talk about joy. We lit the, the pink candle. I always wondered, why is the third candle pink? It's actually rose color. That's the tradition. And back when this tradition was began, the idea of a, a, a rose was associated with joy, and so on the third Sunday, we, we celebrate this rose-colored joy. And, and here's, here's what we want to look at today, is what is biblical joy, and how do we get some of that? How do we get more joy? And as we, as we talk about joy, I think it's appropriate to think about the contrasts, right? The, the other way of looking at it, the, the seeing the bunny instead of the duck, in this situation, and we often will, will acknowledge that we live today in a don't judge me culture. We live in a don't judge me culture, right? That's kind of the, 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 the way that we think, or the way that we process, or the way that we defend things, is don't judge me. Have you ever, anyone ever said that to you, or have you ever said that to someone? Hey, you're, 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 you're coming to me and giving me advice, just don't judge me. Right? And in the middle of this is kind of this game plan, I believe, that really what we should do is just, we should just do what makes us happy. Right? I'm just gonna, I'm just doing what makes me, what I think is gonna make me happy. Don't judge me. And in this culture, we, we kind of highlight that, like it's okay. Like that's the way that we should live and let live. Don't judge me. I'm just doing what makes me happy. But here's the ironic thing. How often do people just do what they think is going to make them happy and they end up miserable? And you don't even have to look back into the Old Testament because this concept is not new. When you look at the book of the Judges, right? At the end of it, it's like they just did what they thought would make them happy and didn't. All throughout history, we see this, but we don't even have to look to the Bible. All we need to do is look to TMZ.com. Right? How many rock and roll stars end up going through severe depression? How many pop stars? How many? How many? How many uh, famous people end up train wrecking their life? Right? TMZ, the tabloid, makes a living off of this. People just trying to do what makes them happy. How many movies, especially at Christmas time, are about the the, the guy who totally? Uh, pursued what he thought was going to make him happy and and, and became successful only to realize in the end that he completely failed at what mattered most. When we pursue what makes us happy, oftentimes it doesn't lead us to joy. And as we study biblical joy, I think it's important to kind of realize that, to recognize that, that if we see it that way, We're not going to end up having biblical joy, but Jesus actually teaches us a better way. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And so I want to just uh, encourage you guys to open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, it's, a, it's kind of a famous passage if you're familiar with the Bible, and if not, that's okay, I'll kind of fill you in. But Jesus is teaching in John chapter 15, and he uses the structure of this analogy of a vine and the branches. And the context would be a vineyard. So I want you guys to experience this with me. Imagine you know, you're in Northern California or, or Temecula, and, and you're walking through a vineyard right now. And there's fences all along the line, and, and the, the grapevines are, 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 are caught up in between the rows, and they're, and they're growing. And you'll look on there, and some of them are, are brown, right? Those are the ones that have been disconnected from the, from the vine. They became brown, brown and hard, and almost like a rope. And then there's some that are lush and green, and there's new growth. And, and, and in the right season, what do we expect in a vineyard to see from that? Luscious grapes. And so Jesus living in, in, in this type of a, a, an environment is now talking probably around a vineyard. It's probably vineyards on either side, I imagine, as Jesus is teaching. He's like, see these, see these vines and these branches. I want you to, to, to use that as an analogy that if you stay, if you abide in me, if you stay close to me, you're going to bear fruit. Just like these grapes. And the fruit that he's going to teach us about one of the fruits of this abiding is literally biblical joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. And so Jesus is teaching us uh, these things and in our passage we're going to see this. We're going to see that God loves us with a deeply radical love. And we're going to see this that that those who see that if you if you if you capture a glimpse of how much Jesus really loves you, it's going to affect you. It's going to compel you to want to draw near to him and, and, and stay close to him and, 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 and actually do what he says. If you love him because he loves you, you're going to want to obey him. You're going to want to do what he says. Why? Because you trust him. And believing is about trusting and obeying. If Jesus knows what's best and he tells you to do something, really you would be a fool not to, right? But it's how you see it. Do you see it your own way? Are you going to trust in your own understanding? Or are you going to trust that he knows better? This is the idea. And if you if you love him, you're going to obey him. And then you're going to want to love others he's going to teach us. And in all of this, the outpouring and the inpouring is Christian joy is this deeper, real, substantial, lasting joy. And that's what we're going to see in this passage is that a radical love from God leads us to a radical faith that leads us to a radical obedience, which includes loving others, even those who are really hard to love, which produces a radical joy in us that gets poured out through us. And so John 15, 9 through 17, here's Jesus walking through a vineyard, I believe, with his disciples. And he's like, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Remember that abiding idea, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be complete. And this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. And I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father, and you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And this is what I command you, love one another. Love one another. So what is Christian joy? We're going to celebrate joy during this Advent season, and we are... What is Christian joy? I'll give you a couple of thoughts, and 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 we'll try to dig into some some passages, and, and 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 understand the texture and the depth and the beauty of of Christian joy. But but I would just start off with this: is it's an an emotion an emotion fixed on things bigger than this earth can understand. And I think that's interesting and important to say because often theologians try to make things like hope and and peace and and joy and love overly mechanical. We want to downplay the emotion or the the experience of it. And we want to make it just... No, love is just an action. (laughs) No. Read the Bible. Love is more than an action. Love is an action compelled by a deep emotion of love. Genuine love must be open to some emotion. And so is joy. Joy has an emotional aspect. But notice... It's, it's fixed on things bigger than this earth can understand. And it is, it is acquired, all throughout the New Testament we see that it is acquired by the Holy Spirit as He points us to who God is, to what God has done, and what God has promised. In other words, the Holy Spirit helps us believe by helping us, helping us get a glimpse of who God is and what God has done and what God has promised. That's why our church remembrance is about you remembering who God is and what God has done and what God has promised. That's our namesake. And so we passionately point people to Jesus because we want to join with the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's passionately pointing people to Jesus and teaching them to be disciples of him and to to make disciples of him. And so joy is, is acquired by the Holy Spirit and if we want to be good Bible students and we want to ask the question, what is Christian joy? One of the things that we should do is we take a word in the in the, in the the passage and we go, what does that word mean? Why did Jesus use that particular word? And so we want to look at the context of the passage. How is he using it in the context? And then we also want to look at other passages in the Bible. Where is joy, this word joy used other places in the Bible and what does it mean? And it gives us a, a richer and more full understanding. And so let's be good Bible students this morning. Amen? And let's look at some passages where this idea of joy is used and see if it supports what I'm teaching you. In First Peter, this is Apostle Peter. You guys heard of him? Pretty important dude. He goes, uh, Though you have not seen Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, you, you're not seeing him now, but you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. It sounds like there's some emotion involved here, right? You're going to experience some joy. You're going to—it's glorious. It's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's emotional. But how? Where does it come from? He tells you it comes from believing. So as we believe. In other words, as we see Jesus for who he really is, not for who the world is teaching us that he is, or not from what our experience right now is feeling like, we, we, we go above our earthly feeling and we gaze upon this Jesus and somehow it produces joy. That's what Peter's saying. Now now let's look at Jesus' A half brother James. We, we spent a couple months studying him and he says in James 1, 2 through 4, he goes, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know. Now this word know, it could also be because you believe, believe that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, what he's saying is that you might be going through an incredibly difficult uh, circumstance. Well, how do you view that in a way that actually joy remains in that? Well, here's how he explains it to you. He goes, because you believe that even though you're going through a hard time, God never wastes a hurt. That God is literally able to take the struggle that you're going through and if you stay close to him, if you abide in him through it, he's able to take you and mature you and make you into a luscious grape that everyone wants a piece of, right? He's, He's able to do that and so we can rejoice in the middle of your struggling because God is using it and if you believe that, you can actually have joy in the middle of it. Why? Because of what it's producing in you is worth it. You think, you think a grape ever, like, in the pro- if a grape could experience it like this, you think he's, like, as the farmer comes in and tills the soil, rrr, rrr, some dirt's flying everywhere, right? And then they water it down, right? And then there's nothing out there. The farmer's just sitting there, like, all sweaty and stinky, right? You think the grape's like, man, I love being a grape. No, it's not till all of the process gets to the end and there's an actual grape and it becomes a wine and then someone's at a, a, a wedding and Jesus is like, let's turn water into that wine. And, and then they're drinking it and they're celebrating it and, then, and, and that's where the joy is coming. But knowing that God has a process in mind and you might be somewhere in the process that's not as, as fun right now, but just trusting that God is in the process with you and he's doing something with it James is like, man, we can actually have joy in the middle of that. It's pretty deep. Well, here's another maybe question. what that, That's, that's kind of how we can have joy, biblical joy. How did Jesus have joy? One of the most profound passages, the author who wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, uh, but he wrote this in in. in in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives this example of all these people who believed, who had faith. And they lived with this faith. And then he starts off chapter 12 like this. He goes, since we have this great cloud of witnesses of all these people who believed like this through hard times, through good times, but they believe since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. You run through perseverance through when? Hard times. Let us run with perseverance the race that he marked out with us. And then it says in the next chapter, it goes, we we do this fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. With the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Isn't that amazing? Does it say that Jesus enjoyed the cross? No, it says he endured the cross. The cross, But with the joy that was set before him, literally, Jesus experienced joy as he endured the cross. And we, we should be left with that passage going, why? Where did that joy come from? How's he having joy in the middle of dying on the cross? Well, I would say Jesus in John chapter 15 explains that better than anyone ever could. So let's dig into our passage. And the first first thing in your notes is going to be this. We're going to look at God's joyful sacrifice. God's joyful sacrifice. And the passage says this. The passage says this. The passage says that Jesus loves you deeply. If you have your paper Bible right now, I want you to circle, underline, or highlight as the Father. Because this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, as the Father loved me, that's how much I love you. So if you, if you circle, underline, or highlight as the Father, draw a line and an arrow over on the margin and write ginormous love. That is contextually a ginormous love. As much as God, as the Father loves me, Jesus is going, that's how much I love you. Whoa. That's a lot of love. He loves you so big, and then he doesn't even stop there. He goes, the next thing he says is he goes, I loved you so much that I laid down my life for you. And and I want you to circle, underline, or highlight greater love. That's what he says. He says, There is no greater love than that a friend would lay down his life for his friend, and that's what I call you my friend. And that's the next thing we see in there. He calls us his friend. Do you know how crazy that is? Jesus calls us his friend. That is shocking. But we don't often see it, right? We see the duck when we should be seeing the bunny. It is shocking. Think about how you pick friends. I mean, there's really three ways that I've picked friends in my life. Some circumstances, I try to trade up. You ever friend up? Right? Like you're in junior high and you're like, you know what? I need to get up on the junior high scale here a little bit. I'm going to get some cool friends because if I'm friends with them, then I'll be cooler. Right? You, you friend up. Or sometimes you, you make friends with those people who you have the most in common with. Right? It's a comfort thing. Right? We make friends with the people who, who, who we're comfortable with. Or sometimes when we're going through kind of an insecure, maybe we've been hurt a little bit, we friend down. That way we get to be the big dog. Right. If all my friends are worse, if I just associate with people who I'm way smarter and better than, I kind of feel good about myself. I don't want to be with people who are better than me anymore because then I'm always the worst in the group. But if I hang out with the worst of people, right, then I could be like the king of the dorks. Right. I've been the king of the dorks in my life. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus does not do any of that. How does Jesus choose us as friends? We're so unworthy. There's nothing that he gains out of it. He doesn't gain like, oh, you know, people will actually think I'm great if I hang out with them. (laughs) No, come on. Is that what's happening in history? Anybody think that the church, the people who say they love Jesus, are making Jesus look awesome? No, Jesus is way awesome, more awesome than we're ever making him, and yet he's still wants to be our friend, it's shocking. It's radical. And unless we're choosing to see it that way, it doesn't produce that fruit of like, wow, we should be stoked that he would be my friend. And it says he chose us. That's just as shocking. He goes, look, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Anyone ever felt unchoosable? Anyone ever felt like unlovely, rejected? Why would anyone like me? The God of the universe chose you. It's not like, he goes, You didn't choose me. It's not like, Hey, God, please, I'm choosing you. Okay, I guess you could get into my friendship group, right? <laughs> like, it's not a pity deal. He's like, No, I picked you, I wanted you. That's radical. I chose you. How do you choose people? I mean, how, literally, how do we choose people? If you're, if you're going like, to, you know, you saw how competitive Brittany is, right? Even over sweaters, <laughs> right? And being able to not break. So we're competitive. When you're going to pick someone, like you got to pick someone for your team, how do you pick them? You pick the person who you think is going to help you win. You pick the best people. You, you pick the prettiest people. Right? you pick you. You we choose that way. God doesn't choose that way. He chose us. That's radical. You guys don't have a look on your face like that's radical yet. <laughs> it's pretty radical. And this all should lead us. This all. That's one of my point is this all should lead us to what David said way back thousand years before Jesus dies on the cross. He had sinned with. With, with this lady Bathsheba, I saw her, you know, she's taking a shower. What was she doing out there taking a shower, right, in the middle of the yard, right? But that's not part of the story we often look at. But he's the king. He's supposed to be out to war. He looks down. He has an inappropriate relationship with her, right? It causes this huge mess. If you read through uh, the book of Samuel, you'll see this, right? He gets in this really bad place. He starts making all these lies, starts covering it up. He kills one of his friends who happens... To be her husband. Yeah. It gets, gets darker and darker and darker. And his heart gets darker and darker. And one of the Psalms he goes. When I tried to hide all of this. I withered away. In Psalm 51 he's not hiding it. And he comes to God. And one of the things he says in there. He goes. I want you to restore to me. The joy of your salvation. That's what he asks God for. You can have anything you want. What do you want? I just want my joy back. That comes from how radical it is. That you would be my friend and choose me. I want that back. And so that's kind of the context I want to look at this is, is this should all lead us to what David called the joy of God's salvation. And so number two in your notes is the joy of our salvation. And Jesus says it like that in John 15, verse 11. He goes, I've told you these things, all these things, so that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you. The joy of my salvation may be in you. And your joy may be complete. Now here's some things. The joy of salvation is not a one-time experience of salvation. It shouldn't be. You know, the joy of of God's salvation should be a daily celebration. I mean, His mercies are new every morning. When you you make a train wreck of your life, He's like, I'll get on the train with you and I'll I'll turn this into a hero story. I'll, I'll get you back on track. If you've even crashed into a wall, I'll put all the pieces back together. I'll, I'll take it from here and I'll, I'll lead you to a better place. He's, he's that kind of God. His salvation is over and over and over and over again. How many of you guys needed to be saved today? Right? I needed to be saved so many times today I lost count. Every day I need to be saved so often. And so the joy of my salvation should be this this thing, he's like, and I've told you that I love you, and I chose you, and I'm your friends, and I'm telling you these things. Why? So that my joy would be filled in you and your joy would be complete. And now we gotta wonder like, what does that look like when his joy is complete? What 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 happens then? Well, he tells us that this joy is the fruit of the spirit that grows in us when we're like the vine or the branches, and we stay close to. This Jesus who loves us, who chose us, and we believe. And by believing, we believe so much that we're like, I believe he knows best. I believe whatever he has for me is best. I believe if I'm going through a hard time right now and it's not because uh, I made bad choices, I believe that he must have a reason for that. And even if I it, it did have bad choices, I believe that he still loves me and he'll come and he'll, he's made that promise. And if I repent, that he'll, he'll put me back on the path. So I just, want to get, I just want to stay on the path. And when we stay on the path, he's saying, that is the best path to be on and it, it, should, it should produce some joy in us. Now, how do we practically approach this? Right? And at this moment, I just want to have a, A moment of vulnerability. What I'm not saying and what I don't believe Jesus is saying is that if you haven't been going through experience where you smile a lot, you're a bad Christian. It's not what he's saying. I hope not. Because i would just be honest with you. I've been going through a time where I feel like for many hours on the day I just wanted to sleep. I've been going through a hard season of not experiencing this as much as I, I want to. Right? So if you're, if you're going through experience where it's like, just, this is a hard season for you, I don't think that you should be hearing this. I hope you're not hearing this. Like, man, you're totally blowing it. You're not appreciating Jesus at all. Not what he's saying. This is not what he's saying. I mean, Jesus, Well, the joy was set before him in Hebrews, he endured the cross, and yet we also read through the Gospels, and he's crying out to God, sweating blood with an anxiety attack. And going, God, take this away from me. If there's any other way. So Jesus can experience this turmoil, in this hard season where he has to endure the cross, and yet somehow there's some joy found in it that he's going to experience later. And he's already celebrating inside, though he's struggling with his flesh. But I do think this that joy is something that we choose we need to choose joy. And now here's the difference. When you when you choose joy the way that the world chooses joy, you go, "I think that is going to make me happy, I choose that." They choose joy like I think I'm going to choose to grab onto what I think will make me happy momentarily. Well, Jesus is teaching us a deeper and better and more substantial way. And so, we need to look beyond this earth we need to look beyond this earth to what Jesus has done, to who Jesus is, and to the things that Jesus has promised that we haven't yet grasped, but we have hope that we will one day, meaning we know it will happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And when we look beyond that and we actively believe, and sometimes that means we need to wrestle with our flesh. Sometimes you're going through a season and you're like, I just want to sleep all day. No, I'm going to pray. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get in God's word. I'm gonna phone a friend. I'm gonna tell him I'm struggling. I'm gonna get out of the house. I'm gonna go serve somewhere. Maybe that will produce some joy in me. I'm gonna actively choose joy. Meaning, I'm gonna pursue what's greater. I'm gonna pursue what I know when it's not what I feel. And we need to wrestle with that as we choose joy. We need to wrestle with our insecurities. And when you struggle, you need to cling to Jesus because he loves to struggle with you. And in the middle of that, he's even producing things that in you, you need. You might not want it in that moment. You might go, no, I want that. I want want fast relief. No, you need to go through this season because you don't even know how much fruit there's going to be from it. And we got to just trust Him. So we can choose joy. And secondly, I think that we can pray for a soft heart. We can pray for a soft heart. If we want to pursue Christian joy, pray for a soft heart. And the first, what are the two things do you think that foster a hard heart? I'll tell you what they are. They're pride and entitlement. Pride is thinking that you can handle it on your own. Pride is thinking that you don't need this God. Pride is a hard heart, thinking that you got this. And entitlement is this. It's thinking God owes you something. And pride is the, and, 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 and entitlement are the thief of joy. But think about this. If God owes you something, here's how it plays out. Either he gives you what he owes you, and then you're like, yeah, about time. I don't hear any joy in that. Or he doesn't give you what you think you deserve and then you're mad at God, right? It's the thief of of joy. It's not celebrating how much better he's treated us than we deserve. He would call his friend, wow. When you stop saying wow, oh my gosh. Guess what? It's called entitlement. And it's the thief of joy. And we need to pray that God would give us a soft heart. And when you have a soft heart, you're going to desire to do what's pleasing in God's eyes. Why? Because if he knows best, then when you do what he says is best, that's best. Why would you not? Do you hate yourself? It's really a form of either not trusting God or hating yourself if you don't obey him. Or you just don't see the duck. You see the rabbit. You desire to do what's pleasing in God's eyes. You feel remorse over sin. When you stop feeling remorse over your sin, it's because you have a hard heart, and you can pray, God, give me a soft heart, because a soft heart is like soft soil, and it produces a, a luscious vine and luscious fruit. You repent early. You know the difference between a mature Christian, one of the differences between a mature Christian and a, and a not mature Christian? Or was say a mature Kenny and a not mature Kenny. When I'm not being mature, I blow it. I wallow in self-pity. I avoid people. I avoid reading the scriptures. I avoid wanting to come to church. I avoid, I kind of harden myself up for a long period of time. When I'm a mature Kenny, I make the same mistakes sometimes, but I get right back up. I repent early. When I have a soft heart, I'm repenting early. Like, God, this morning I didn't have a good morning I don't want to have a bad, I don't want to parlay that into a bad afternoon. Like, come save me now. And you get right back after it. And joy produces a willingness. And a soft heart looks like a willingness that produces joy. And pride, pride and entitlement, they produce an unwillingness or a stubbornness. It looks like I got this. I'm just going to do what makes me happy. It's a stubbornness and it's a pride for this. And we, need to, we want to pray, God, give me a soft heart. It's not believing that God knows best. When we stop believing that God knows best, we start thinking we know best or this person knows best or this is what I need. These are hard hearted pieces. And when we have a soft heart we have a soft heart. And when we recognize the joy of his salvation, the third thing in our notes is this, is that it should, it, there should be a joyful response. And Jesus talks about what this will look like if we have a joyful response. And I want to have the worship team come back up Jesus says in John 15 that our joyful response to recognizing that he loves us, that he calls us his friend, that he laid down his life for us because we're his friend and that he chose us. And that that should produce a joy and it should go to a completion of joy and that joy should overflow out. And it should look like this. And he says, the first thing it should look like is that we would obey his commandments. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And I want you to circle, underline, or highlight if in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's a conditional clause. We need to choose this. It's an if. And the second thing is that if we have a joyful response because we recognize that he loves us, that we're, he says we're going to love others the way Jesus loves you. We're going to love others the way Jesus loves Loves us, So you might ask the question, how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love us, you guys? Radically. Unconditionally. Beyond what we deserve. Graciously. Unconditionally. Jesus loved us like the Father loved him. He loved us. And he calls us to love others the way that Jesus loved us. The third thing he says is that we should live on mission. He says that if you have this radical joy that comes from knowing how much you were loved and saved, that you should live on mission. And he goes in verse 16, he goes, I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So circle, underline, or highlight, appointed. And in the margin, you might write, our joyful mission. How many of you guys have a joyful mission? The joyful mission is, to, he goes like, all of this happened. The overflow is, go and love others. Go and serve others. You have this joyful mission to go out and serve others. And then lastly, he says, that, that praying with radical, with radical faith. Is a fruit of this, he says in verse sixteen. So that whatever you ask in the Father's, it, it, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. So here's what I want to do as we prepare for worship. Tomorrow is our third Sunday. I mean, our third Monday prayer. Every third Monday, we meet at headquarters from six thirty to eight, and we worship. And we pray. And so what we've been doing is we've been offering uh, on Sundays some prayer requests, some, some prayer promptings. And then tomorrow at 6.30, it's not for a specialized prayer team. It's for everybody. You guys are all welcome to come to our headquarters. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray for the things that we're going to be putting in these boxes. So here's what I want to do in this time. In your bulletins, you have a, a card that says Radical Trust. And I want you guys to think about what has God been saying to you this morning about your heart, about your path to joy? What has God been teaching you this morning? What would it look like this week for you to pursue radical trust and obedience? And I want you to write down, how can we pray for you in that? What, are you, what is God prompting you to do? What do you want to do this week? What are your action steps going to be? How can we be praying for you? Is there some repentance that, that's needed. You don't have to even write down your name. Just say, you know, I want to repent of this. Is there, is there somebody in your life that's incredibly hard to love right now and right now you're like, you know what, I should reach out to them. I should make amends with them. I should seek forgiveness. I should seek to bless them. And maybe it's not even like a real tragic thing. Maybe it's just somebody that God's putting on your heart right now that you haven't talked to for a while. I should, I should text them. I should reach out to them. Or maybe there's something else that God's calling you to. Whatever, maybe it's an attitude of entitlement. Like, wow, when I hear that you know, you're my friend, I feel like, like I'm doing you a favor. That's radically wrong. You get that, right? What is it that God is calling you to do to lay down, to pursue, to pursue this radical joy, to believe, to repent, Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.